We got deer hunters and the youth out in, in the woods this weekend, so I think probably the deer hunters are safer than the youth are at the retreat. <laughs> well, we're plugging away at Galatians. Um, we're at chapter 6, and quite often, in Paul's letters in particular, what Paul does is he'll take the front side of his letter to do a whole bunch of theology and doctrine, and he'll give you the truths upon which he's going to base The second half of his letter is on, which is, here's some ways that you can practice this. So if you're going to roll up your sleeves and live out the truths that I've just given you, here's what it looks like. And Galatians 6 is all about that. It's about rolling up your sleeves. What is it that uh, we can do, Paul, to live out the immense truths and really show that we're keeping in step with the Spirit, really allowing our faith to be expressed through love. And he gives us a whole bunch of pieces And so we're going to walk through that and unpack that a little bit today. One of the things that's always interesting to me when I prepare for sermons is, you know, I'm searching the internet for various things, and I came across this, the perfect church. I've been looking all my life for that. How about you guys? Seriously, there really is a church called the perfect church. It's in Atlanta, Georgia. It's been here since the late 50s. When I looked at their doctrine, it didn't look quite perfect to me. Um, But I was struck by that, that we're all questing. And I think what Paul is talking about in Galatians is um, what I would say, how do we become the perfecting church? In other words, how do we live with one another in ways where we're helping each other grow in Christ and follow Christ? That's really what we're looking for in church, isn't it? I mean, so oftentimes people will talk about, oh, you know, we need to have the latest, greatest speaker or a bigger, better worship band or a larger building or better lights or all those kinds of things. And all those things are okay. But the core of what God is looking for in this thing that he's called the church is you doing good things in the name of, in his name. That, when you have that, you can have a broken down building. You can have a preacher that misses things and forgets things even more than I do. You can have a worship team that plays out of tune. And you can live with that because what's happening is the life of God is activated in the congregation of God. Does that make sense? And so we're really going to unpack this chapter asking the question, okay, Paul, what do we need to practice to become the perfecting church? Make sense? So we're going to start at the end and work our way backwards. In verse 10, this is what Paul says. He says, therefore, so we're going to want to find out what is that connected to. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So this idea of being the perfecting church is this group of people get together And when they come into the building, or whether they're outside the building, they're about doing good to one another and for one another. And especially those that are here at Bridgewood, but we're also, like, Bird in the Word is a good example of what it means to be doing good as in the name of the Lord. And Paul is going to give us some more to drill down in. And as I open it up, it's going to sound pretty simple. It reminded me when I was tearing apart the passage about a book that was really popular about 25 years ago. All I really need to know I learned in kindergarten. How many have seen it or heard about it? They're just these 
simple truths that in many ways when you hear, you go, yeah, that's, that's true. And so um, some of them are like this, share everything. Yep, you can, you can imagine hearing that in kindergarten too. Play fair. It's true. That should last all your lifetime. How about this? Don't hit people. Uh, clean up your own mess. Oh. And this is my personal favorite. When you go out into the world, watch out for traffic. Hold hands and stick together. That's good church life. When you're out in the world, people, Bridgewood people, stick together and hold hands. We're going to make our way through it. So Paul has this, this simple list, but this simple list is attached to a profound, powerful, almighty God who watches to see if we'll walk in this list and he will honor it. Honor what? Well, just some simple things. First, Paul says we should help one another. There's different burdens that he's going to lay out. Then he talks about, and you should share. It's another way of relieving burdens. So you help, but in specifically you can share. And lastly, don't give up doing good. It's so easy for us in the quest of doing life that we can stop doing the things that we know we should do. And he's going to address that at the end of the chapter. All right, so your thinking cap's on. Is the coffee kicking in? Let's, let's unpack this passage. This first idea of help is a certain kind of burden. Here's what Paul says. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person by whacking him over the head, by slapping him with the Bible. No, you're supposed to do it gently. Now let's look at this. It doesn't say pastors, if someone is caught in a sin, does it? I mean, pastors are part of the body, so they should participate. Who's supposed to participate? Everyone. So, if you believe that, raise your right hand and say, everyone. Everyone. Good. Way to go. You are waking up. Now, what's happened here? What Paul is talking about is someone who is caught in a sin. Literally, the Greek word for caught means you're trapped. It's like you were walking along and your foot stepped into a snare. And you slid off the path. Because remember, sin, oftentimes we, we, we hear the word sin and we close up and we go, oh, here we go, I'm going to get yelled at. But sin is so grievous because it literally means we miss the mark of God. What God intends to be, we've missed. We've done something else with creation, with ourselves, with another person. And we're, we're missing God's blessing because we've slid off the path. And what Paul is saying is if, if you're spiritual, you're going to, first of all, notice this person has slid off. And then second of all, you're going to insert yourself in their life in a way where the gentleness sets them back on the path. The word restoring is a word that gets translated. It's the same word that you use for mending the nets, like when the disciples mended the nets on the shore, or setting a bone. So literally, what you're doing is coming to this person in a gentle way, getting him back on the path of righteousness. That's what we spiritual people are to do. When I was in college, it was uh, spring break, and we were there for football, and uh, not too many people were on campus. And 
um, you know, we had a fairly good weight room. And there were a couple of standard rules, laws, for the weight room. One of which is, if you're in the weight room alone, never try a max lift. That makes sense, doesn't it? It's just safe. God's commands are not burdensome. You know, they're for our own good. This weight room command was for their own good. So my, my training partner, Jeff Gabrielson, a fellow, uh, fellow football player, and I decided we are going to go work out. And we're walking down the hallway to the weight room, and we thought we were the only people there, when as we get close to the door, we hear this gurgling sound. We wonder, what in the world is that gurgling sound? And we open the door, and here's this kid that was a, a really cocky freshman, had tried to do a max in the bench press, where you lay down and you max like this, you know, and you press it this way, you know what I'm talking about? So he didn't make it, and he thought he'd be clever and get out, so he began to walk the barbell towards his head, and it was trapped on his neck, hence the gurgling sound. So had we not been there to relieve him of this burden, he would have been permanently relieved. It would have been over. And so what we're, what we're called to do in that moment when we see somebody is to step and insert ourselves in, a lie, in, in, in their life in a way that brings restoration. Now, think for a moment. The church at Galatia, what's their struggle, people? What are they battling? In a word. Inexperience? No. I mean, that's, there are some things that they, they need to experience. What's their core struggle? I feel like I'm, I'm at the seminary teaching young pastors, and they're looking at me like, this is a trick question. This is not a trick question. What's the problem? Legalism. Right? Isn't that the problem? They're taking the law, and they're making that their pathway to God. Legalism is the problem. Now, the problem with legalism in something like this is when we catch somebody in trouble, legalists love to do this. They love to just go, ha ha, gotcha. You're not following the rules. And usually legalists, they get pretty excited about the fact that they didn't get caught. Whew. Feel pretty good about that. He got caught, but I didn't. You got your hand caught in the cookie jar. That is not what Paul has in mind here. So interesting enough, he spends more time in this section of Scripture talking to the restorers than the sinner. Because it's tricky for us. And there's something in our human nature that just loves to go, you're naughty. And we start to slide down this path where we can miss something. This is why Paul says in the next verse, but watch yourselves. Or you also may be tempted. Well, tempted by what, Paul? Well, he says, if anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. The idea here is that there's something in our nature that seems to... In fact, I can remember after Gabe and I did our workout, we went back to the lunchroom and we're sitting around with a bunch of other ball players, and we're making fun of the freshman kid that got pinned by the barbell. Now, that's, in some ways, guy stuff. But in this context, it's when we tend to seek to elevate or make ourselves right because someone else got caught. And it happens so subtly. 
It happened, it's such a tricky fall. That's why the proverb says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall because Paul's concerned, and we can do this in so many ways. Well, here's the other way. Each one should test their own actions and they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Now, in your own personal private space, it's confession time. Have you ever said, well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so? Have you? You don't have to raise hands or run to the front. I'm pretty sure that if we were to turn on God's omnipotent power and light, everyone would be busted. There's something in our nature. Do you guys know what I mean? And so what Paul is saying is that when you see someone who's stuck in this sin, make sure you're going in true humility. Make sure you're going in a way that's going to be helpful to them. And watch yourself afterwards because we can so easily slide into a place where we're proud. And when that happens, we're in trouble because a mentor of mine said, Mark, remember when you point the finger, most of the fingers point back at you. And it's always stuck with me. And I've I've seen different preachers who at some point in time, unfortunately, they hit a fall and you realize, oh, that's why they were screaming at their congregation. That's where they were yelling at people is they, they were in this place where they were battling their own internal stuff and no one came to restore them. And they were off on this kind of proud place. Paul says, don't do that. That's not helpful to you or to them. Does that make sense? So the second thing that Paul wants us to help with is this area of burdens. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Interesting words that he chooses there. So you have one thing where a person slides off the rails, and they've missed the mark. We've got to help them. And now we've got this burden. And the word that Paul uses here for burden is an overwhelming sense. It feels like this. Look at that thing. That's crazy. I mean, I was doing, when I was looking for pictures to kind of show overwhelmed, I can't believe how in, in uh, Southeast Asia, how they can load things up. I don't even know how that's staying on there. But that, that picture connotates what Paul is talking about. It's when life hits and it, it, it just loads you up and it bends you over and you feel like you're broken down. And he says, if you're really looking for a law to fulfill, do that. Because that fulfills the law of Christ. Love one another even as I've loved you. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Paul is talking about. So let's talk a little bit more about this idea of when we're stooped over and bent and you're burdened down. It's hit you like a tsunami. It's, it's just been uh, an incredible uh, thing that you, you weren't expecting. It's a loss of a spouse. It's, uh, it's losing your job and you didn't have it coming. Your health all of a sudden just falls apart and you're absolutely burdened. These are the things that Paul wants us to pay attention to. You know, because singing some songs with a good worship band isn't going to, in a lasting way, make the, the change that you need. You need a team to come around you to lift you up. A sermon might give you some information. It might encourage your heart. But you need a body to lift you up, to care for you. This is the intention of God, is that he would place us 
into his house, surrounded by people who would recognize at times when you slid off the rails or when you're carrying too much of a load, it would speak into that. That's what we crave. That's what we're designed for. And when we don't live like this, we wind up looking like Shrek the sheep. Have you heard of Shrek the sheep? That's Shrek the ogre. Shrek the sheep. Shrek wandered off the path, and he wasn't in fellowship, and he didn't turn to his shepherd. And you know, one thing about sheep is that most genres of sheep, Merino in particular, they keep growing their wool. It doesn't stop. It keeps growing if it doesn't get sheared. So this is what Shrek the sheep looked like when he wasn't availing himself to getting his burdens bare. That's him. Can you see his face? It looks like someone covered him in concrete. That sheep right there had 60 pounds of wool. 60 pounds. That's enough to make 20 uh, adult male suits out of. And, it, and he literally, this is what he's supposed to look like. But that's what he looked like. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have to be careful. If we wander away from one another, if we do what Shrek did, we kind of go into our own personal cave to hide our burdens, we need people who will come alongside and, in a sense, shear the weight off so that we can be who we're designed to be. That's what Paul is saying. When you come into these doors, there should be a good, gentle look that happens around the room. Oh, that's right. I wonder how so-and-so is doing. So I want to take a moment right now and ask you to close your eyes and pray with me. Would you? Lord, we, we do a holy pause because... This information is only as good as it leads to transformation. So if there's someone in our life that's wandered, would you speak to us right now? Or if there's someone that we know that's burdened, they're weighed down, they're stooped over, speak to us. Show us if we have a part and what that part is. We thank you, Lord, for continuing to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. So we kind of get this. Paul is saying you've got to do good stuff. The good stuff has to do with helping people with burdens, like when they slide off the rails or when they're weighed down with something big in life. And then we hit this verse in verse 5 that doesn't seem to really fit. This is what Paul says. For each one should carry their own load. What? I mean, if you're reading the whole context, you should go, wait a second. I thought you just said we're supposed to help one another carry these loads. What are you talking about? And this is where it's important to maybe dig down a little bit and to say, well, what does that mean? The first word that he uses about help one another with burdens is a word that literally means when you're overwhelmed. One translator says when you're knocked off your feet by this heavily weight. Now, this thing, this idea of carrying your own load is a word that gets translated quite often talking about a soldier's pack. And a soldier was trained to carry his pack. Everything he needed to do a day's work was in his pack. And it was designed to be carried. Yes, it was 
somewhat heavy. Yes, it sometimes felt cumbersome, but it was his daily stuff. So what Paul is saying here is, yes, there are times when the church should rally around and lift off these heavy burdens, but don't forget the fact that each one of us has daily stuff to carry. Isn't that true? It just makes sense. So the daily stuff is something that you would quantify as what you go in day in and day out. Um, There were times where I would have loved to send my kids to somebody else's home, (laughs) drop them at the doorstop and say, there you go. This is your new burden. But that's my daily stuff. They're in my pack of life. And so we got to figure out how we carry that. I didn't really want to get rid of them, at least for maybe a couple months. It would have been nice. So Paul is saying... We need to recognize when people have slid off the rails. We need to recognize when people have been overwhelmed. And we got to help. We need to do this. And we'll find out in a moment why we can bank on that. And then he said, but be realistic. We each have stuff that we have to carry. And that's our own. I think we've had people, all of us, in our life that sometimes have asked us to carry burdens that are really theirs to carry. The daily life kinds of stuff. And... um, that's what Paul is talk, touching on in that verse. So now he, he shifts gears a little bit. Again, it has to do with some burden bearing in a certain way, but it seems disconnected to the whole flow of this letter. Verse 6 says this, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Now what is he talking about? In this passage, Paul just makes a quick uh, note towards his readers about the need that he's got some people there that are responsible for teaching the flock. Oftentimes when Paul would travel, he'd travel in groups of people. We know about Titus and Timothy and those people, but he also would have a group of young seminarians that he would take with him, and they would stay there. And they, they were starting to learn to preach, and they would share truths. Now their livelihood was dependent on the congregation. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying, nevertheless, listen, you could look at that and say, well, you young preachers, that's your lot in life. Good luck with that. Or you could take part and realize that they're sharing with you a gift and you have an opportunity to share back with them. Does this make sense? So again, Paul was was putting out there that there's a place where you support staff. You support ministers. It takes, on the average... If a person is going to preach, for example, actually my, my seminary preaching pastor used to say, for every minute you preach, you should spend an hour in study and prayer. So in a 30-minute sermon, you're spending 30 hours studying and praying. We thought that was insane. We said, 30 hours? What are you going to do with the rest of your time? And he said, you know, it doesn't mean that you're not consolidating. Like when you're driving someplace, you're rehearsing the text. Or when you're sitting waiting for someone, you're scratching out a note in your notebook. All that time counts. All that is to say this. Paul says that you as a body have an opportunity to share what good gifts you've been given. And I want to, and I typically don't say this, and I'm really not, I'm not up here pleading for myself, but I, I, I do want you to know something. The average person doesn't understand what staff people do. We are not drinking coffee in the cafe playing cards. Our staff, I I know a lot of staffs. I've worked, I've been on advisory boards of numerous churches. I've traveled to other churches. I just want to say to you guys, 
our staff works very, very hard. They put in more hours than is expected of them. They work harder at things, and they champion things. All that is to say is if God lays on your heart to bless one of our staff people, God bless you. Thank you for sharing. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, watch what, what they give to you. Get an opportunity to give back. And this idea of giving, I, I continue to learn. I was thinking when I was writing these notes down that there was a time in my life when um, God was teaching me that not every blessing that comes into my life is for my life. Let me say that again. Not every blessing that comes into my life is for my life. Oh, I was bummed when I heard that for a second. Because, like, I remember a time when I had been praying, 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 and it just giving my best arguments to Betsy. I, I, I was part of a bike racing club. I, need, I needed, I needed a new racing bike because the other one was unsafe. Honey, sometimes we're in a pack of 20 guys, and if something goes wrong with my, my brake calipers or something, you could lose your husband forever, you know? So I have this compelling argument. And, I, and, and so um, I wind up with a really nice racing bike. And I, I, had, I had ridden it in one race and ridden it in some training rides. And uh, along comes this young guy who'd been through a rough stint in his life. And he also was a bike racer. And God told me, give him the bike. What? Talk about Isaac on the altar. But I can't tell you the amount of joy I experienced when I shared that bike. And I can't tell you the amount of transformation that happened in my life that I could become the conduit of a blessing to another person, that I could become a blesser, that I could be like Abraham. I want you to bless others even as I blessed you. That was a huge thing. So all that is to say is there's, a, there's immense power when you share, when you risk offering your ice cream cone to somebody. You know, when you do this sharing, it's transforming for both of you. You guys know that I'm kind of this social scientist guy. I read the research, and one of the most fascinating things to me was this thing that was discovered called mirror neurons. The way it was discovered was that these guys had uh, caps on these monkeys, and they were studying their brain, and the monkeys were in a cage, And most of them were eating bananas. And George, the one monkey, was not. Now what they wanted to see is what parts of their brains lit up when they were having a pleasurable activity. Bananas. That works for monkeys, right? So they're all, all these uh, social psychologists are watching this thing. And all of a sudden one goes, hey, look at George's brain. And they look at George's brain and his pleasure center right here is just lit up. And they, go, and they go, yeah, so what? And they go, well, look at George. Why? George didn't have a banana. His brain was lighting up when he watched other people experience the pleasure. And what they discovered was there's this thing that happens in monkeys and us where when we see something, it, it can impact us as if we're doing it. For example, when you watch a movie and you see someone do some great act of kindness, and you go, oh, and you experience something emotionally, right? Do you do that? I hope you do that. And, 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 when, and when you're walking in the store and you watch a person who dumps all their groceries, and all of a sudden the teenager skateboarder dude who you wouldn't think would care stops and starts repacking the groceries for them. And when you watch that, 
it does something called elevation. It literally lights up your pleasure center and lifts your mood because someone is sharing with someone and you're sharing the moment with them. Does that make sense? So the idea that Paul is saying here is he's saying, listen, if you will share stuff like that, you can light yourself up. You can experience immense pleasure because not only are you having it, they're having it, but the people around who watch this experience it. It's why we love testimonies. When someone comes and they say, guess what God did? And you hear what they did, you go, oh, cool. Because it's lighting you up. It's a sharing that edifies And Paul is saying, we've got to do that. We have to walk along those lines. Because when we do that, we become the good church. And lastly, Paul says, these things are so important, don't give up. Now, sandwiched right in here is the key. Because right now, you could, if, if, if you're like the average American person, you could be thinking, Mark, this is sounding like a to-do list I don't want any part of. I don't want to have to go restore sinners. I don't want to have to be always doing this good stuff and lifting up burdens. I've got burdens of my own. And I would understand that. Which is, this is why Paul says, listen, don't grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest. You're going to see the fruit of your labor. And in, the, in this idea of helping, there's a thing that we just... We, we've discovered with caregivers, nurses, doctors in particular, but anyone who takes care of people, they call it compassion fatigue. And literally, you can, when, when, when someone hits this, people who have been immense caregivers all of a sudden just don't care because they're overwhelmed. And Paul does not want the church to hit that place. He wants them to realize something very important. And remember when we started, he said, therefore, therefore, do good. Remember that? Now he's going to wrap it around. He's going to tell you, I want you to do these things because of this. Are you ready? You're all sitting down. Here you go. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. In other words, don't be tricked into thinking that when you're busy about planting the seeds of good things in a person's life, don't be tricked into thinking God doesn't see. God doesn't care. God's not making it grow. Because the very things that matter, that what Paul is talking about, are things that take time. Now, think about this. If I go talk to someone who's addicted to something, pornography, drugs, alcohol, my first conversation with them, will that restore them? No, probably not. I mean, if it does, glory, hallelujah. But the reality is, is we probably have a long, slow climb out, don't we? That's the reality. And what Paul is saying, the reason people give up, oftentimes they look at, it's just taking so much time. It's taking so much energy. And he's saying, don't forget this. God will not be mocked. When he sees you doing the good, because he's called you to do good, he will do good. But you've got to keep working at it. When I was in Northfield and I was working at St. Olaf College, there were these farmers that would come in. We'd open up this, uh, or one of my part-time jobs was down at this place called Dino's Grill. 
and it was a flat top right here, and then there, were these, there was a counter that went around that. And these farmers would come in, and they, they loved to come in and give me a hard time. And at that point in time, I had hair. In fact, they had long hair. So they, they, they called me the gorilla, and they would come in at 5 o'clock because they made strong coffee, and they'd, they'd, they'd sit around, and they'd, they'd joke, and, and uh, they'd have big breakfast, and then they'd go out to their field. And there was this one guy. His name was Larry. He kind of looked like this guy. And Larry was real quiet, but he was a do-gooder. Larry, Larry taught me how to beat someone to the bill. He sometimes would call, and he, he would, he'd say, I'm coming in. Don't even put the bill out. I want you just to give it to me after we're all done. And there'd be other times where um, he'd, he'd, make, he'd come in and he'd, he'd give cash. I remember one time he came in, and he gave this gal a $50 bill. He goes, we'll keep using this until we're out. Let me know. So he'd always be buying breakfast for these other friends of his. But he was super quiet. And then one year, Larry's wife got sick. About a week later, his wife is in the hospital. A tornado takes down his entire turkey barn, just levels it. All the turkeys are dead. A little while after that, his dog dies. It's getting bad, isn't it? And then, that spring, he decided that he was going to uh, try to get a jump on things because he was so, so burdened, so overwhelmed. I'm just going to get the seeds in early. So he planted the field, and then Northfield got a deluge rain and wiped out all of his planting. And with it, wiped out Larry. I can remember the week when the boys showed up and Larry wasn't there. Where's Larry? We don't know. He's not himself. What do you mean he's not himself? We don't know. He's not himself. So I said, well, guys, think about it. What's going on in this life? Oh, we can't believe we missed that. So what they did was in a couple of weeks when the weather and the fields dried out, these four farmers got several other farmers, and they pulled up to Larry's farm with all their tractors, their cedars, and they reseeded everything. And they told him, they said, for this entire year, we're coming to your farm first. And we're going to help you get a harvest. And those guys walked with Larry the farmer through that dark time and bore his burden in a way that demonstrated to me what Christ expects of his church. Beautiful, isn't it? And so when I think about a pretty good church, I think about us doing pretty good stuff. And I think about us having confidence that if we do pretty good stuff, this very good God will not be blind to it, but he will watch over it and give us a harvest. Amen? So what I want to do is I want to just close with prayer this morning as we prepare for offering. And I want to pray in a way that we engage ourselves in this passage a little bit. Can we do that? Just a couple more minutes. You guys have been good listeners. We've covered a lot of passages and a lot of information. But let's drill down now, can we? Holy Spirit, come right now. Your desire is that we would be about the business of goodness. So I want to pray. Lord, if there's folks here that are burdened, I pray that they would not be like Shrek the sheep, but they would risk sharing their burdens. And I pray also 
that we would risk sharing in them. And during this offering worship time, if we're afraid about that, if we have questions about that, if we're nervous about that, then we ask that you would invade our hearts. Above all else, God, give us confidence that you're watching over the process. Lord, if we know someone who's caught in a sin, give us a spirit of gentleness and the wisdom and the know-how to know what to do. And lastly, if we're in a group where we've been blessed, we have something we can share. Help us notice with who we can share it with. In fact, I pray, God, that you would make generosity and sharing super contagious at Bridgewood Community Church. So we offer these prayers to you along with our offerings and ask that you would come and visit us with your wisdom and your power. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks, you guys.